Galatians 1, chapter 1, verse 6 to 12. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Good morning again. It's good to be with you. We're in this new series, second week in the series in Galatians. Uh, And uh, we're titling it overall, The Pursuit of Liberty. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about freedom, freedom in Jesus Christ and what it looks like in our world today and how really when it comes to our world and its attitudes towards freedom is that it's an illusion. (laughs) The freedom that we hope for in this world is a great illusion. And so we're hoping to see through this whole epistle, this whole letter that Paul wrote back to the churches in Galatia, where there was a significant problem going on. We're hoping that we will learn what it is to be free in Jesus Christ through the two to three months that we will be in this series. So let's begin today. I want to to talk a little bit about um, some background to this passage that we're at today. And it reminded me actually about 16, 17 years ago, Back in my business life, before I went to seminary and became a pastor, uh, I went to a convention in San Francisco, uh, which is awesome. It was a real estate convention for the National Association of Realtors. And we, were, uh, we had a small technology company at that time, and so we were there and, and uh, just basically checking it out for the first time, seeing what was going on there. And I walked into a particular booth, and, and I saw this guy. I didn't recognize him by his face, but I saw his badge. And you would not know his name today, um, but I knew him right away as soon as I saw his name on his badge. Um, most of you, uh, of course, 1999 seems like a, a long time ago for some of you. It isn't really that long ago, but it was really around the time of the birth of the Internet, the Internet that was not invented by Al Gore, by the way. In fact, the man that I was standing in front of probably had more to do with the birth of the Internet than many others. The Internet actually began in 1991 when Tim Berners-Lee put up a single web page. And it was put up just basically to tell people what it looked like as far as hypertext language and how it would all work. And we got all excited back in those days, us advertising and marketing types, because this was going to be like the new way to reach people, right? And it is. And so I remember standing in front of this man, and I'm looking at his badge, I'm going, I'm, I'm looking at him going, uh, Jeffrey Wilkins, uh, hi, hi, how are you? My name's Glenn Davies, nice to meet you. And he's going, I don't know who you are, but okay, I'll shake your hand. And, and I... And, He had recently sold out his shares. He was a partner in a company that was established in 1986 by the name of CompuServe. Anybody old enough to remember CompuServe? I I, I signed up and spent a lot of money on CompuServe and then AOL, and then, of course, it became dial-up and all the rest of it. But he was one of the startup guys of a company called CompuServe, and he'd sold out. And I asked him at that point in time when we were there, I said, "So, so what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing here at a real estate convention, right? And he goes, these were his words. I'm looking for the next great thing. Well, I got to tell you, at that point, it was kind of the peak of my business career, and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> I really thought that was amazing. I thought that was... In fact, I got home, and I immediately Googled to see if I... Well, Google wasn't out yet. I uh, Netscaped, whatever it was, at the time, and I'm looking for www.nextgreatthing.com. Oh, somebody took it. 
So I registered nextgreatthing.ca, and I still own it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not using it. I'm not using it at all. But here's the deal. Why do I introduce that? We all do that today. All of us as human beings, we're, we're doing that all the time in our lives. New Year's resolutions, what are we looking for? The next great thing, right? We, we are, whether it's related to our emotional, physical, right, financial, or spiritual lives, we're looking like, okay, what's the next great thing that I need to help me in any one of those quadrants of my life to become more successful, more happy, more, more you know, Christ-like? And, and some of those things are good, but we're looking on a regular basis for this thing called the next great thing. And of course, it's, whether it's weight loss programs or healthy food and eating, working out financial planning, time management planning, don't get me started on babies, right? <laughs> You're like, you know what? Okay. So we could keep going into all those things, but the reality is it's about the next great thing, isn't it? We seem to be people who need to find the next best way to be able to live this life in a happier, more healthy, and hopefully spiritually connected way. So where did this all begin? Of course, you all know, it always begins back in Genesis, doesn't it? And it did, didn't it? In the garden, what, what, what did Adam and Eve do when they looked at that beautiful red apple? We don't know it was a red apple, but I'm just giving you an image. What did they do? They went, listen, we have this perfect life, this greatest life ever, every day where everything's provided for us. The temperature is perfect. We don't even need clothes. We have daily communion with our God, the great I am. And somebody says, here's the next great thing. And they take it, and they eat of it. And we've been doing that ever since. We have, as people. I have. I don't know about you, but I think we've all been doing that. So I want us to be careful here today as we approach this letter, and particularly this passage, that we realize that the Apostle Paul's not just angry with the false teachers that are coming into the church. He's very disappointed with the Christians. He's disappointed. He spent years planting these churches teaching them everything he knows about Jesus and about the gospel and what it means. And these Judaizers come along, these false teachers come along who, who were coming into the churches, and Paul's first words here are directed at the Christians, and they are this. I'm astonished, disappointed in you, that you are deserting him, Jesus, for a different gospel. So it's 10 or 15 years since Paul has planted these churches, and, and, and realistically, this is what's happening. The Christian life is harder than they thought it would be. <laughs> Go figure, right? Yeah, yeah, they know they've got forgiveness for their sins. They know they've got eternal life with God, that they've been saved. But you know what? It's 10 to 15 years later, and, and they're probably thinking, is this as good as it gets? Because it's hard. You know, Jesus hasn't made me financially wealthy and all these other things that I thought were going to come with Christ. But no, in fact, it's, it's actually quite hard for them. And so the good news of Jesus and all that he has done is starting to fade, making them, quite frankly, and us today, vulnerable for false teachers, for false teachers, and for looking for the next great thing that just sounds good, but also... So here's the other thing I, I want you to understand is false teachers, they don't just arrive, right, wearing black garbs and black hoodies and, and signs that say, hey, by the way, I'm a heretic, right? Like, they don't arrive like that. If, if they did, it would be easier, right? But still, people would be going, oh, why are you hard? Don't be so hard on yourself. Tell us what you think. No, they don't arrive like that. In fact, the way they arrive is they arrive sounding and looking just like the most loving and most understanding Christians you've ever met in your life. That's how they arrive, and that's how they look. They understand how hard Paul's teachings sound. They, they hear your pain, your struggles, your guilt, and your shame. They're great speakers. They're great writers and orators. 
Uh, the trouble is, what they do is they distort and they twist the Word of God. Their pattern is pretty simple. Back in that day, and it's the same today, they set up a straw man, right? They set up a straw man. You know, the, the pastor or teacher or the church that you've been to before that literally believes that all of the Bible is the Word of God, right? Uh, everything that the Apostle Paul wrote is gospel. And then they remind you of how hard it was for you to accept what Paul and, of course, that preacher-teacher has been saying, right? It's pretty hard for you to, to accept that. And, and then, of course, you know, they invite you to listen to their new understanding of, of Paul's words and of the gospel and, and all the things that are taught in the New Testament that are really hard. And then they want to, at that point, go, well, okay, now that we've taken down Paul a notch, and now that we've taken down your pastor or whatever other theologian you're listening to, l- let us introduce you to some new ideas. That's the pattern. It's, it's happening today. It happened then. And it, it's for this reason that Paul's saying, I'm astonished that you're buying into this, I can't say the word, on a Sunday morning. But that's his feelings at this point in time. He's disappointed that they do not trust the gospel, the word of God enough to smell the false teaching a mile away. I don't know how many times, and please don't take this as me sounding arrogant. I don't mean it this way, and if it comes across that way, well, I don't know how many times people ask me to read a book by so-and-so. I don't know how many times that's happened in the eight years since we planted the Rock Church. Hey, could you read this for me and tell me what you think, right? Or I see people post things, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right. So I go and check out the author. I go and read. And I can't tell you how many times I'm into the first chapter, barely, sometimes the first few paragraphs. And and I'm, I'm just shaking my head going, guys, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you're not picking up that this is going down the wrong road. It happens all the time. In our world today with the internet, blogs and authors, I mentioned some last week, some aspects of that, we need to be careful. So why does that happen? Why does that happen? Why are people drawn in? Well, I can think of a number of reasons, but the primary reason is basically this. We are not receiving and believing the gospel is the last great thing. We're not receiving and believing that the gospel is the last great thing. So then I would give you this. Here's your big idea for today. The gospel is the last great thing that you'll ever need. Receive it. Believe it. Never leave it. The gospel is the last great thing that you will ever need. Receive it, believe it, never leave it. So last week, we we looked at a lot of background on Paul and what was going on in Galatia, etc. We talked about one major theme at that time, which was the theme of freedom, right? We got into that quite deeply. And this week, we're going to dive into the forest, per se, but we're going to stand above it a little bit and look at the forest before we dive in and look at all the trees, because there's lots of trees in in Galatia and in Galatians at that time. Um, The big picture is this, of this whole letter to the Galatians. It's the gospel, It's the gospel. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in this passage, the word is used multiple times, but you go through the book, if you add up all the different words that are used in the letter to the Galatians, the word gospel is used more than anything else. Well, maybe the and 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 a more, but the gospel is used the most. Here's another note. This this is a letter, by the way, that I think we need to understand at the get-go. This letter is written for Christians, to Christians. It basically, it's not for non-Christians. Now, that's not to say that anyone who's here today or anyone listening who's not a Christian or doesn't know if they are yet, that they can't benefit from this letter. Oh, they surely can. But he's specifically writing this to Christians. 
And so the point is this. This letter is for Christians. Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia, and in particularly to those who have, note this, already heard and accepted the underscore definite article gospel. The, not a, but the gospel. So they've already believed it. They've been baptized by Paul. They've been following as best they can, but things have gotten hard. And so the language throughout this is about the gospel. And so why is this so important? Because, and, and this is the forest when it comes to understanding the gospel. I think many Christians today are under the mistaken understanding that the gospel is simply this. It's simply a prayer you pray. It's simply a one-time experience when you come to Jesus. I read, uh, interestingly, as I was going through this, um, a man by the name of Brian Chappelle. He's a writer, theologian today. He's a pastor, seminary prof. But he, he actually told the story where, and he confessed that when he first became a pastor, he went out and he thought, you know what people need in the church is they need doctrine. And so he went out and he preached doctrine for like three years, right? Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. You know, this is what the, the word says in doctrine. I'm making doctrine sound bad, aren't I? It's not really. But anyway, he, he found out after two to three years that that wasn't working. People weren't growing and it, not much was happening. So then, then he thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll teach application. You know, now that people know doctrine and know the sound word of God, I'm going to tell them what they need to do, right? That was really helpful. Not really, right? And so he, went, he was talking to one of his seminary profs and he was really literally at that point in time ready to give up on the ministry. He was ready to call it quits. And his professor said to him, have you ever thought of preaching the gospel to Christians? And well, he did that, and the church took off. And so I think that's part of where we're at today, is, is we think that this is just a one-time experience. You know, once you're there, once you become a Christian, now you've got to move on to something more, uh, sometimes something deeper, like, like, like really deep theology and doctrine, right? You know, really intense Bible studies. So then we think that the gospel was just like kindergarten. And the key is that belief reveals a misunderstanding of what the gospel is, of what the gospel is. Paul writes about it all the time. He makes it very clear that the gospel is for Christians from the beginning till the end. And what he says in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, I don't think it'll be on screen for you, so I'll read it for you, but you could flip in your Bibles to it, Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He's writing to the church in Rome that he longs to go and see, and he says these words, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you, the gospel to you, also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul wants them to know in Rome that he wants to come to the Christians in Rome to preach the gospel to them. In verse 7 he says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So he, why would he do that? Why would he, why would he want to do that if they're already Christians, if they're already saved? Because the gospel is for our lives in the beginning, in the middle, and to the very end. I want to show you some things, and again, I, I wish the overhead was working, but it's not. So you'll have to imagine this with me. But theologically speaking, the process of our salvation is actually threefold. The theological words for it that we've come up with are justification, sanctification, and glorification. And you will know if you're part of our Gospel Foundation series in the past, and we will be doing it again sometime soon on an evening, uh, Sunday evenings at the Ledge. We learn three things. We are saved. It's a process. You guys know Acts 2, 42 to 47? You know what it says in verse 47 of Acts 2? It says, and the Lord was adding daily to the church those who were saved? No, those who were being saved. There's a process to our salvation. The first is, justification is this. You are, we are saved from the penalty 
of sin. So the point of conversion, the point of where we are regenerated and we are saved, is just the beginning. But the point is very important that there is sin. There's a penalty for sin. Paul says in Romans 3.28, for the wages of sin are death. (laughs) It's good to have some people respond. It's good. That's what the penalty is. Now, the point of justification is is that there's nothing that we have done to save ourselves. The point of justification is, is that it's all done by Christ. We are justified. We are made acceptable and approved by God because of the work of Jesus. So number one, you are saved, we are saved, if you're a Christian here today, from the penalty of sin. That's the first stage. It's pretty critical because you're not saved until that point. But there's more. The second stage is now in this life where we continue to live in a world where sin abounds and we still sin. We are being saved from the very power of sin in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so, so how do you do that? How do we continue to be saved in this world, in this life today, from the power of sin? The gospel. Not a new book. Not the next great thing. The gospel. And lastly, this is the great thing for, that's sanctification, by the way. Glorification is one day, can you imagine this? One day, you and I, Christian, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. That's the culmination. That's the completion of our salvation in Christ. Is that not a good day coming? Can you imagine? Have you ever stopped and thought for a moment that when you woke up and you turned on your television that there was no murder and death and evil in our world? Can you just imagine waking up one day and you yourself don't have any inclination to do the things that you wish you would never do again? Can you imagine what it would be like to be living in that place? That's the future. That's the completion of our salvation in Christ Jesus. So I think it's time now to discover some of the trees. So go back to Galatians 1 with me. Okay, Galatians 1. I want to, the, the title of our sermon today is, the message is, No Other Gospel. Go figure. But, but there's kind of a subtitle to it, and that is The Root of Division. Some of you are here today and you're going, oh great, why did I come to the rock for the first time and they're talking about division in the church? Because it's real, okay? Because it's real. I want to show you three things about the root of division. One, number one, the need. Number two, where to turn. And number three, the resolution. Galatians 1, 6 and 7 says this, I am astonished that you have so quickly deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul touches on two things here. First... He says there is no other gospel. There is no next great thing, is what he says, or greater gospel. And you see that here in verses 6 and 7. And the literal Greek would be like this, and are turning to another gospel which is not another. So, so it's almost like Paul was, I, I don't even want to call it a gospel. It's like, it, it, it's, it's another gospel that's not another. It's the literal translation there. So I want you to see it like this. We learned last week that Paul felt that there was such an urgent need and an urgent matter that he wrote in his own handwriting, and with a bit of an edge, I suggested that he he was preaching angry, right? He was. He was upset about what was going on here. And so another reason why we concluded that is because he dispenses with the typical salutations that he opens almost all of his other letters with. Usually it's, you know, hi, I'm Paul, I'm writing to you in such and such a place, and oh, by the way. You know, I'm so thankful for all the wonderful things that you're doing and and how you are blessing people and preaching the gospel everywhere. I I continually pray for you. No. Paul's like, right in, I'm astonished. So this is very serious stuff from Paul's perspective. 
you're so quickly deserting God, deserting Jesus, and turning to a gospel that's not a gospel, and listening to men who are, this word here is very important, it's the key word, distorting the gospel of Christ. This word distorting, some of your translations might actually say pervert. That's a very good translation. Either way, it's the key word, and it literally means this. Literally, it means turned around, or even better, reversed. And that's what he's getting at here. Paul's making a very important revealing point here about the gospel, and that is this. There's an order to the gospel, not only in the way the gospel saves us completely in our lives from the penalty, from the power, and from the presence, but there's an order to the presentation of the gospel that's incredibly important. So just like we've already seen, it's progressive in the life of the Christian. There's also an order that must be there. Or listen to this. It's not a gospel. It's another something, but don't call it a gospel because that's not what it is. It's not good news. So here's another point. When we think about division in the church, most of you know what divisions in the church look like, right? Most of you do. And we're just being honest here today. Churches are divided all over the place. It's why we have so many denominations in our world today, right? And you know what it looks like. You really do. Christians divide over a lot of things, which is why we have all... A short list would be this, baptism. Man, there are so many different ways, apparently, that we can be baptized. Sprinkling, dunking, holding down really long, <laughs> bringing, I, whatever. Communion, the Lord's Supper. You know, I, I've tried that with a couple of you. You know, you want to make sure, okay, that the old man is dead, right? But there are so many ways, right? Lord, the, the Lord's Supper, when do you do it? Once a week, once a month, once every three months, you know, like, churches divide over that. Tongues, no tongues, there's a good one. We won't touch that. Church leadership, men's and women's roles in the church, real wine or juice, I could go on. Paul's point would be this. You can disagree to a degree. This is good. You can disagree on some of those things to a degree, although you can get carried away with that, but you can't disagree about the gospel. That's worth dividing over. That's the line in the sand. It's the gospel. That's his point. And so let's take that a little further. When we divide over many of those issues because of a lack of knowledge, a lack of faith and trust in the gospel, as we learned last week, we can apply this week. Ultimately, division in the church is most likely related to a lack of submission to the authority of God's word. Anybody want to say amen? It is. And again, this is why it's so important not to believe, to, to, to understand and believe that the gospel is not just that one moment event that happened there and then the rest of the Christian life is they would go figure it out. Read some books, find out what the next great thing is because you're going to need help. No, actually, it's return to the gospel is what Paul... So this word reversed is really important. It's about a reversal or distortion of the gospel that Paul is concerned about. And he's going to go on about it and on about it in this whole letter that he writes. He says basically any deviation in the slightest degree away from the gospel is no gospel at all. That's pretty, pretty black and white, isn't it? So now let's focus on the reversal or the order in the gospel. I want to give you a couple of analogies. A couple of, you listen to these statements and you tell me which it is, okay? So here it is. Here's a presentation of the gospel or not the gospel. You know, does God love you and therefore you love him and show it by leading a good life? Or do you decide to love God first, to come to God, to give your life to Jesus, and lead a good life, and therefore God now loves you? 
Which one? Does God do all the work, completely accepting us, and therefore we are indebted to him to live well? Or is it you and I that do something and therefore God owes us? I like to call that the genie God, you know, pinata God, you know, right? Does God accept and approve of us completely, completely, and then as a result of that we lead a good life? Or do we lead, lead a good life and he's compelled on that basis to accept us? Which is it? Which is it, right? So, so do you see what these views tell us? Listen, what these views tell us is really simple. It's black and white. It's one or the other. There's no mixing of the two. As soon as you try to mix the two, it's all out the window. And that's what Paul's so on about here. But he's not only on about it because he's disappointed and because he's angry and you're, you're missing sound doctrine. It's because your life in Christ is going to suffer. You're not going to grow. You're not going to find the freedom and the joy in Christianity, in Christ, that is coming to you, is available to you, if you don't come back to the gospel. Right? That's the most important thing. I mentioned Martin Luther last week and the Reformation and, and the fact that he wrote a, a commentary to the Galatians and that was really what he preached that what really spawned the, 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 uh, the Reformation. He wrote this in the preface to the Galatians. I want to remind you of this. These are 500-year-old words. And I want to say to all of you who are under 35 years of age and you basically think that anyone over 40 is elderly, you know, I, I, just, want to, I just want to point this out to you. A lot of wisdom came before you were born. Respect it. Honor it. That's what Martin Luther said 500 years ago about this exact point. He said this, For there is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. No middle ground. There's no gray area. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. If you do not build your confidence on the work of Jesus 100%, you must build your confidence on your own work. Those are his words. Profound. Written 500 years ago. Wise man? I think so. It's why we are Protestants today. It's because of men like Martin Luther. We should respect that. And there are also men who, when they read the Word of God, believed it completely. Believed it completely. And preached it and taught it and lived it out. So if we consider how this plays out in our churches today, let me suggest this to you. Uh, We talk about freedom, but look at it this way. Basically, what we're looking for is the pursuit of what? Liberty. Right? That's the pursuit in Galatians that we're after. But here's the, there, there's, there are two extreme poles that are at odds with the gospel. Both are at odds with the gospel. So hear me clearly today. One is over here, it is legalism. And the other is over here called license. Both of those are in opposition to the liberty that comes from the gospel. Here's how it looks. In, in your more liberal churches that we have in our world today, you'll see this. They would say this. Yeah, yeah, listen. No, we totally agree. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Totally agree with you there. Yeah, we're on the same bait. That's the gospel. Let's just, that's the gospel. Let's accept that. But you must also believe this. Good people who follow other faiths, faiths or even good people without faith will eventually also be saved by God's love because God's love will win, Right? Or how about this? Oh yeah, faith in Jesus is important, but please don't say that homosexuality is a sin, but that people can have Jesus and their chosen lifestyle too. So what's really being said here? Is this the gospel? No, actually what's being said here is this. Fine, 
You can believe that Jesus is enough for you, but the truth is, good enough is enough. Good is enough. That's a distortion of the gospel. That's a complete reversal of the gospel, and here's why. It's basically saying that good people... However you define that and however high the bar is, I mean, you've got to set the bar, right? We've got to figure that out. We don't know what that is. But it's good people who get into heaven, and, and bad people, well, b- bottom line is, they don't. Hey, I've got some bad news for every one of you in the room. <laughs> None of us are going to heaven, if that's the case, right? Right? Jesus said this in Luke 5, verses 31 to 32. He said, those who are well or good in their own minds, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, Paul tells us that any other gospel is not a gospel at all because it's no longer good news. And you remember what we always say here at The Rock, we say it all the time, it's news, not advice, right? Right? I may have some advice for you on business because of my past experience. You could come and talk to me about business experience, and I may be able to help somebody here and say, well, I would maybe do this, or you might want to think about doing that, and you might go, good. And, and you, you, could, you could take that or leave it, do whatever you want. But the bottom line is, is with my advice, you've got to go and do something in order for that advice to be of value to you at all. It's completely different with news, isn't it? It's done. It's already done. The only thing we can do with news is record it and respond to it, maybe. But it's factually happened. It's news. That's the difference that we have here in the Bible. So I, I kind of gave you an illustration of the liberal, right, progressive side, which is the licensed side. But how, how about legalism, right? Let's talk about the, 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 the conservative Christians. What do those who pervert the gospel on the conservative side of the church do? Now, some commentators, they've actually titled this letter, A Letter to Recovering Pharisees. <laughs> I like that. That's a really good one, because here's the point. We're all recovering Pharisees to a certain degree, are we not? So that's just being honest. And they, and they would add, we are all recovering Pharisees to some degree. Remember our definition of the gospel earlier. The progress is justification through sanctification to eventual glorification. So first, look, you're, you're, you're justified by faith alone in Christ alone for your salvation from the penalty of sin. That's the necessary first step, which then leads to you naturally living out the gospel In your life and in the power of the Holy Spirit, being saved from the power of sin over your life, you grow in your sanctification until the day you die. Now, this is how the legalist, the recovering conservative Pharisee, gets it wrong. They switch the order up. They don't even know they're doing it, but they switch the order up, right? They get sanctification first. They think sanctification is needed to guarantee their justification. They reverse the order. And that's not the gospel either. And so what's the result when people who are really conservative do that? The result is fear. They get a little insecure, like, I don't know if I'm saved. It's getting hard. The Christian life is hard. And I'm getting a little fearful. And I'm not sure I'm saved. And so they start thinking that their sanctification, the way they're living today, what they're doing today is actually going to somehow assure their justification. They get the order messed up. And you know what the result is? And I've seen this, and quite frankly, I've got the T-shirt. I've been there. I'm a recovering Pharisee. Anybody else? Okay. They become rather judgmental, don't you think? A little superior. You know, hey, you should be like me. 
I got my theology down, right? They do, don't they? They do. It enables the recovering Pharisee in a negative way, keeps them in bondage just like their liberal progressive brothers and sisters, just on the side of legalism versus license. I mean, illustratedly, how about this? King James Version only, right? Yeah. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it should be good enough for you and me, right? Like, that's one of them, right? Wine, not juice. Jesus blessed the wine. You should not be using grape juice. It goes on. The solas, the five points of Calvinism. And if there were ten points, better, right? That would be the attitude of the recovering conservative Pharisee in our world, I think. So at the end of the day, the church divides over both how the liberal progressives and the conservatives distort the gospel, legalism versus license. Both are distortions. In fact, I want you to see it this way. The Apostle Paul essentially says this. If you're going to divide over anything, if you're going to fight for anything, let it be the gospel. Make sure, first of all, if you're going to argue and debate over any of those things, make sure first that you're arguing from the position of the gospel. And this is a good reason for having different churches. When you think about it, it's a good reason for having different churches. If you believe that, yes, the apostle Paul, God's word, does say that homosexuality is a sin, then you will need a different church from those people who ordain gay ministers and sanctify gay marriage. You're going to need a different church if you disagree on that point. And is it a gospel issue? Well, most would say yes. However, some would say no. I think that's an extreme example, but there are others, and that should be, there are others that should be causing divisions. And I don't want to go too much into that today, but listen, if we want to be unified in the Spirit, look at Ephesians 4 and read about unity in the Spirit. Unity in the Spirit isn't something that you and I create by debating and discussing theology or, or whether or not this is a sin and that's not a sin. It says that the unity of the Spirit, Spirit already exists in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our job is to know what it is and live it out. Do you know what that unity is? It's the gospel. <laughs> that unity is in the gospel. And so that's where we need to turn. One more time, the gospel is the last great thing that you will ever need. Receive it, believe it, never leave it. Leave it. So that's the need, actually, for the root of division. There, are, there is a need to divide over the gospel. There is. Number two, his point would be where to turn. He says in verses 8 and 9, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Hmm. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Wait a second. Did you just hear Paul repeat himself? Because like, it wasn't me. Paul just repeated himself, didn't he? Why did he do that? Well, it's a little bit like at this point in the sermon probably, I need to yell just to wake you up and get your attention because I've been talking for a while. And there's a lot of information. That's part of what he's doing. But there's actually more, and it's important. Paul's showing us two ways or approaches that are wrong and one that's right. Two places or authorities you should never turn to and then the one that you must turn to. Paul says, if we, I, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel. So first look at the angel analogy, right? And, and imagine this, honestly, come on, like just don't, it's not just, it's a metaphor, it's a figurative thing that he's showing, but imagine that an angel shows up, you're on the street, some an angel shows up to you, right? And like you're, you're trying to poke him, and yeah, yeah, you can poke right through him, but he's there, and he's talking, right? And he's literally telling you these new things, 
And you hear this angel appears to be very real saying, yeah, listen, just wanted you to know this. Like, you, I want to confirm for you that the Apostle Paul was great, but listen, those things that have been troubling you about what he wrote and some of the things he said, you know, listen, I just want you to know that God agrees with you. God agrees with you. Paul was just being a little bit over the top. <laughs> Paul says this. Ask the angel what the gospel is. Ask the angel what the gospel is. Don't just listen. Ask him what the gospel is. And if he reverses the order, if he reverses the order, he's a demon. He's a false teacher. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. If the angel says, well, it's simple. What the gospel is? Well, it's simple. You live a good life, love people as best you can, and God will be waiting for you one day with open arms. That's a reversal, is it not? It's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Paul literally says this, grab that angel and throw him into hell. That's the literal words that he's saying here. Be accursed. It's pretty graphic. So the point is the order. That's the key. Paul wants us to know this. We, can, we can't trust our experiences. Oh, gosh, i got to tell you, again, all the books that I read, all these books that are completely wrong, it's all about my personal experience, what I've experienced how I feel about this, my emotions, how this makes me feel. It's a terrible way to approach the Scripture. It really is. You know, it's something like this. You might hear people say, oh, you should have been at the service and seen what I saw. Yeah, man, there there was gold dust and a glory cloud coming down from the stage, right? And, and, And the preacher gave us a word of wisdom, right? I'd never heard this before. You know that God still speaks today, right? Ask what the gospel is. Ask what the gospel is of that preacher, that teacher, that writer, that author. Look for it in their writings. Paul's basically saying this. We don't judge the Bible by our experience. We judge our experience by the Scripture. Paul also says, listen, I, the Apostle Paul, come to you and say, wait, I had it wrong. What I really meant to say about the gospel is this. Paul says in all Humility and authenticity, he says, let me be accursed. Because here's the point. The point is, it's not like Paul's coming and saying, listen, if I come to you and say that I got it wrong, you, you remember what was read a few minutes ago, what verse 12 actually says? He says that he got this directly as a revelation from Jesus Christ. So he would be saying that Jesus got it wrong. You see, when we don't respect the authority of God's Word, Jesus is the Logos, by the way. He is the Word of God. When we don't respect the Word of God, we are calling Jesus a liar. That's incredibly serious, and that's what Paul is on about here. That's what he's all on about. So in conclusion, we get to point three, and it's this. How to resolve the division. How do we resolve the division? There's a need. We need to turn to the gospel for all aspects of our lives, but how do we resolve this division? Well, he says in verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so he uses two words here that point to what is probably the underlying reason for both the sins of legalism and license, liberals and conservatives, and it's the one sin. It's man-pleasing. It's man-pleasing. It's fear of man, right? He says, approval of man and then please man twice in this verse. Throughout the whole Bible, it's presented as one of the great sins that we all commit. 
It's another of the ways that they tried to discredit Paul in that day. It's one of the ways that they tried to discredit him today. But it's also what we're guilty of when we try to take the Word of God and twist it, distort it. It's because of what? Fear of man. Fear of the culture. Approval. So this then is the great uh, resolution to the problem of division in the church. You can choose to be a slave to others and to their approval, or you can be a slave to Jesus Christ. You can choose to be a slave to the world, right, and to their approval or of Christ. And if His, then you're going to have this assurance. You will know this for certain in this life that is hard, that the one who gave his life for you, who now fully accepts and approves of you completely and totally, sees you as a faithful brother, sister, and friend. If you know that, if you know that, well, I think then you will never fear or need to fear or be afraid ever again. That's why we need the gospel today, every single one of us. And so let me ask you this. Can you imagine if everyone who calls on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior trusted that, trusted the gospel in that way completely? What might happen? What what actually might happen in your personal life as a follower of Christ, in the life of the church, of this body of believers, and the people that you and I are called to go share the gospel with? What might happen in their lives? I can think of one word. Freedom. Freedom. Complete and utter freedom. Paul ends with these words in verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel, friends, is the last great thing that you will ever need. Receive it, believe it, never leave it. Pray with me, would you?